0: Articus will be keeping a closer eye on Sagan at Roubaix. You can bet on that. An Embrocation education on the Pace Line. And Durace revealed what we've heard about the next generation of Shimano's top-tier group. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. And this week, we have our 32 triple-cross box-rim wheels with FMB tubulars mounted up as we head into Perry-Roubaix. RedKitePrayer.com, the home of the Pace Line, RKP, Director Sportif Patrick Brady, is driving the team car. And you've been driving around just a little bit, or flying around, driving around, just a little bit these days, Patrick. Uh, Quite a busy uh, schedule for you as you you finally settle down and get ready for Perry-Roubaix.
1: Well, yeah, kind of a... D, all of the above. Uh, I'm just back from uh, Greenville, South Carolina, where I was at an event uh, with Michelin. Uh, They introduced a new series of tires, Power, uh, and these are all new compounds. And uh, we actually did some scientific testing ourselves there, and uh, these. These tires are pretty phenomenal. I also uh, got a selfie with Bib and got to drift some cars on a on a track there. So uh, it was it was a very fun visit. So this was bike tires and car tires. Well, it was one of those things. It's like if Michelin's going to bother to bring you in to one of their proving grounds, uh, they're kind of kind of give you the full tour and so we got to go out and do some wet laps uh in a minivan with michelin tires (laughs) followed by uh uh some laps in a bmw uh, 328i with crap chinese tires um and uh the toyota sienna handled better than the beamer (laughs) Wow, <laughs> just the tires. Yeah. And so the bike tires,
0: you imagine, will start riding soon, and we'll start seeing those on RKP at some time.
1: I came home with three sets, and they're about to send me some more. Yeah, and I can't wait to get on them. Awesome, excellent. Yeah. And uh, then there was a there was a recent. Sighting of you at a mountain bike race. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. Um, yeah, I did Sona Moss, which is at Lake Sonoma. This is a Bike Monkey event. The same folks behind uh, Levi's Grand Fondo. Uh, I go in part just because everything Bike Monkey does is so well done. Uh, they're so well organized. They go off on time. You can't possibly go off course unless you're utterly blind. Um, and this course... Is insanely challenging. Uh, I was hoping to better my previous time at this thing, uh, and ended up twenty, uh, about twenty minutes slower overall. Even though the first half of the race, I was, uh, I was up because my legs got so fatigued because of one by. Uh, I am not willing to grant that this thing is is entirely ready for all people in all circumstances. Mm. I, I deem the front drailer not yet dead.
0: Okay. Well, we're going to get into that and into our garage segment a little later in the show. We're going to have a complete rundown of, of all the good gear things we've come across uh, in since the last show. Uh, Fatty is not with us today. He's not feeling well, so he skipped the sign-in for this show. But fatcyclist.com. Still one of the reasons the Pace Line is around, and Fatty, uh, get well soon, buddy. Uh, we miss you here on the Pace Line.
1: We await news of your health.
0: Yeah, we do. Uh, just He can just text us. He can jump in the call anytime he wants to. We're, we're happy to have Fatty. The Hell of the North, setting up to be quite a showdown with two men attempting to end their careers on the Cobbles by standing on the top step, and one who is just starting his career on the Cobbles Trying to pull off the Flanders roubaix double, something that's only been done a dozen times. Of course, that would be Peter Sagan, who's just uh, still really basking in the glow of his Flanders victory. But I guess I have, uh, my my real question here is: Did Fabian Conchalara lose the Tour of Flanders, or did Sagan win it? There's no doubt. That, that Spartacus missed a move so obvious a cap four racer could have maybe figured it out. And he wasn't out of position at the time. It was just 30K to go at the Tour of Flanders. And Michael Kwiatkowski from Team Sky uh, launched a nice attack. And Peter Sagan, in his rainbow jersey, pretty obvious, went after Kwiatkowski. Even Sep Van Mark uh, bridged across. But Conchalara sat still in the group. Uh, and it, even after the race Kuntalar admitted that he, that he blew it that uh, the move went and he should have done something about it his team director for Trek said the same that you know Conchilar's hesitation likely at least cost him a chance at being in the mix in the end Sagan of course uh, wheeled it across the finish line <laughs> and gave the Winters uh, the winners uh, interview that is uh, after it was all said and done
2: it was super hard the race from the start until the finish, always full gas. And uh, yeah, I had a little bit problem from uh, uh, one, after 100 kilometers. I had to change both wheels because I broken wheel. And yeah, it was a lot of crashes. And I thank you for all the team because uh, they did a very great job.
0: As far as the gun's, uh, tactics, going at 30K, Patrick, seemed... You know pretty risky um, considering the ability of the guys behind him to chase um, but obviously he knew something better and that is <laughs> you know uh, to sit there and wait for a sprint may not be the best idea
2: <laughs> no the race was very hard today and uh, yeah it's um, it's uh, very hard to work with the uh, another guys because uh, nobody don't want to work with me, and then uh, it's always better to to drop everybody. I think uh, it's uh, not easy.
0: <laughs> it's always better to drop them. I think a, a nice one there, huh? and really, uh, we've we've seen Sagan kind of struggle in the classics uh, so far to kind of figure it out because you know this is not a thing where you show up. These races aren't the types of races where you show up and just say, "Bam, here I am," and announce it that you're a winner or even a contender. It takes some years of of kind
1: of figuring season out the eight. puzzle. And it, do you sense that that's what's, what's come about here with Sagan? I mean, this is the season. 2016 is the year Sagan has come of age. You know, it's one thing to win a stage of a race uh, or some smaller race that is, say, 200 kilometers, uh, winning at, you know, 250 kilometers, 150 miles is a very different thing. And, you know, guys were talking about that years ago. This is this is no great surprise that, you know, uh, the phenom who can kill at 200K uh, is, you know, not going to be there um, at 250. It, that's a, an entirely different uh, level of fitness. Um, and so, yeah, we have now seen Sagan come of age. Uh, it was a remarkable performance. And, you know, honestly, I think Canchelara, you know, he's been the victim of such negative racing for the last three seasons. Uh, it's been hard for him to do anything. I think he can be forgiven for thinking, well, these guys are going to chase him too. I'll just say, sit here and wait for them to bring it back. Um, they didn't. And so, yeah, you know, that was... Um, you know, kind of tragic for him. But can we also talk about just how incredible it is that one of the finest sprinters on the planet figured, oh, I shouldn't leave this to a sprint? Um, that's that's a guy who, you know, he he's not going to just rely on an existing strength. This is a guy who's maturing a lot, and it, that's really fun to watch.
0: Yeah, and I think the other level of maturity he's showing is, uh, first of all, he's his speaking has gotten a lot better, and he's... He's remembering the bigger picture here, too. Yeah, he's a showman, and he did his wheelie at, at Flanders, but immediately after, with his heart rate still high, he remembered to remember those two riders that had been lost the week before. Here's what Sagan had to say about um, both Antoine de and Don Minguer.
2: We have to think also about... Uh uh two guys what was, was, uh, die died uh, last week and uh yeah it's very sad but uh i want to dedicate this to to them
0: so far, you know obviously he is figuring this game out yes he is yeah. cool to watch yes he can do wheelies he can he can go at 30k or he can win a sprint and he can do the other the smaller things i think too that Are going to make hopefully make a great champion because the door is opening now. We know that you know Conchalar and Boonen, this is going to be probably their last shot at the cobbles. Um, and the door is now open for someone new to come along and kind of stake claim to this section of the race calendar. Yep. Um, Sagan, of course, uh, remembering those two men, Uh, by the way, those two riders were both coached by had had the same coach, so kind of some strange irony there. And a quick follow up too about uh, the Demotier crash. Uh, Brian Cookson, the head of the UCI, says they will be holding a special meeting this month about Peloton safety, and some of the things on the table would be uh, restricting the number of motos and rules on passing, both on the table. And then one experienced, I guess, motor rider has reached out to Cookson, suggesting that the motorcycles themselves being ridden in the Peloton have gotten too big, that 1,100 and 1,300cc motorbikes might be just too large, um, considering the, the packed traffic that's going on, so... I just want to look, let folks know that the Cookson and the UCI are working on the DeMontier situation, not only that incident itself, but what they need to do about making a safer peloton. So, who was looking for redemption at Roubaix after missing out at Flanders? Well, Tomica, right? I mean, the mm. last we saw of Tom Bonin at Flanders, he was working for a Terpstra, a teammate, obviously, just before the decisive move. Now, yep. Bonin going for a record, tying fifth. Perry Rebay, kind of in a strange position though, isn't he, Patrick? I mean, this is almost swan song-like. Do you think a writer in in this position of his career really has the motivation to do, to to, to win a fifth or to, to cap off a career going out on top?
1: you got to figure he's hungry for this. You know, he's hungry for almost nothing else this season the way he is for this. I mean, dude, I would pay money for a two-up breakaway of Bonin and Cancellara, you know, have them go away with 100K to go. Um, the entire rest of the field could just sit up, and I just want to see those two guys whoop on each other for 100K and just see what happens. I, I, seriously, I would pay money for that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we had, we had Sagan. Of course, we'll be going for trying to become the only the
0: 13th or, or for the 13th time do the Flanders-Roubaix double. Uh, both Boone and Conchalar have each done it twice, um, the feat has only been accomplished, again, a dozen times. So Zagan, looking at that, he's getting a lot. I was watching some some video before uh, in, in the, the lead-up to Roubaix, and he's getting all the press attention. There's a lot of stuff on him right now, so very difficult to, to pull off the Flanders-Roubaix double. Team Sky uh, probably looking for something better out of Roubaix than they saw at Flanders. Not, a, I mean, they had a good day, and they had a lot of riders in the mix at the end, including Kwiatkowski, Michael Kwiatkowski, probably not a man for Roubaix. probably going to bounce around on the cobbles a little bit too much. But you got to believe that they're going to be looking to get in the mix there in Roubaix in some way. And the Belgians, too, overall, um, kind of had a rough day at Flanders. Uh, yeah, Sep van Mark was on the podium, and that's cool for them. But, uh, you know, the team's the country's biggest team ethics, really not a factor in the end. Boonen did hurt his wrist during an early fall on... At Flanders, appears to be okay and should be fine for uh, Roubaix. Greg Van Avermaet will not be in Roubaix. Um, he went down with most of his BMC teammates with about 100K to go. It uh, looked like his team was actually trying to move him back to the front. Van Avermaet, in the form of his life, too, broke his collarbone. So no Roubaix, no Ardennes. BMC's main attraction, Patrick, may be uh, a guy you named a 2015 uh, writer of the year, Taylor Finney. <laughs> Uh, the American is going to be in Roubaix, uh, and BMC, I suppose, could try to rally around him. Oh, dude,
1: he's I mean he's a natural for Roubaix, even in a way Van Avermont is not. I mean, he's twice winner of the U23 Perry Roubaix. Um, even even if Van Avermont hadn't gone down and broken his collarbone, I'd still pin it on Finney for, from BMC.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, well, Greg Van Avermaet was in really good form, and he was in tears the last we saw at Tour of Flanders after uh, crushing his collarbone um, along a sidewalk there. Mark Cavendish will make a start at Paris-Roubaix. mention data writer now, sport director Rolf Aldog confirmed that Cav will race the Cobbles for only the second time of his career. Uh, I guess Cav has ambitions about maybe you know turning from sprinter into somewhat of a classics guy near in the twilight of his career or near the
1: end of his career um, he's still the wrong build for yeah. you know it, I mean to really contend for Ruba uh, no and I mean I, I don't I don't pin anything on Sagan if Sagan wins Roubaix, um this will be far bigger than people think I mean it's not only a matter of the 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 Flanders rube double hasn't been done very often uh, but I, if memory serves no one has done it. Uh, in their first you know following their first win at Flanders mm-hmm. uh, you know again uh, Roubaix is uh, another 50 kilometers longer you know another order of magnitude in terms of length and difficulty um, so I'm I'm not really holding my breath for Sagan and that's no insult against him it's just uh, it's a different beast altogether and I think that this Sunday will be a day for either Bonin or or Cancellara. At least that's that's what I want to see. That's right. you know kind of the natural order that would make me happy. All right. So
0: there will be some sprinters at Ribé. Again, Cavendish. Looks like he'll ride in support of teammates, though. Tyler Farrar will be there. Bernard Issel will be in there. Uh, speaking of sprinters, uh, back to Flanders for a second. Uh, Andre Greipel, who turned in actually a nice day at Flanders, uh, usually shows himself quite well there. Went on some attacks. He's released his power numbers. I love this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Power numbers. From his Sunday efforts, he had a max effort of 1,600 watts, and he laid down a 20-minute effort where he averaged just under 400 watts. On the Queromont, he averaged 455 with a peak of 716. That was after almost 200k of racing, and then on <laughs> the Coppenberg, we saw him churn out 500 watts and a cadence of 68. That is some that is some grinding oh, right there.
1: Wait, don't forget, and he was he got he still got caught at the top of the Coppenberg. 550 watts and he got caught
0: mm-hmm.
1: i mean so what were the rest of the guys doing who caught him 600 650 yeah you they know hammering yeah i mean just yeah those are insane numbers such mm-hmm. absolutely huge numbers um but also yeah that 68 cadence you know come on guys use your brains you know i i remember when everybody wanted to accuse cancellara of having, you know, a motor in his bike. And the thing was, he was just running a 25 when Bonin had a 23. Mm-hmm. You know, give yourself some gear. You know, this yep. cadence thing kind of helps out. At Flanders, we saw a, a fair number of 28 cassettes. In fact,
0: that's what Sagan rode. He had a 28 with a a semi... We well, had a 53-36, I think, uh, front chain ring setup. A little odd with the ramping matches there, but that's the setup he went. And you could tell, too, when he was going up the climbs, he was... He was spinning. He was giving it the hamster treatment, going yeah. up those climbs, saving his legs. And you could um, see
1: guys blowing up who'd only ri- ridden with the twenty three.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just it saps you to try and grind up like that. Uh, we did spy some disc brakes at Flanders. Speaking of gear, Lampre was uh, using them, and the Shimano Neutral Support vehicle kind of went with a ceremonial uh, disc wheel. Um, although I think they had the wrong rotor size. If, if Lampre needed something, they had the wrong rotor size. Oh, God. Um, during the midweek classic, there was a couple of pro continental teams running disc brakes as well. But again, not the kind of thing maybe we anticipated with UCI lifting, you know, allowing teams to run disc brakes wherever they want to. We forget the spring classics would be a good spot for this. Um, so far going into Roubaix, looks like mostly we're going to still see rim brakes Out there on the pros, probably for wheel change reasons and compatibility issues.
1: It's a big surprise. It's a big surprise. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and we might get weather at Roubaix too, which may may cause them double thinking. Oh, thank God! Finally, a little weather at Roubaix. That would be nice. But I mean, seriously, with all the money that SRAM, Shimano, and Campagnolo are spending on these sponsorships, you would have thought that, particularly SRAM and Shimano would have just ordered the teams to start running disk. Um, do they have the power to do that? As a sponsor? Yeah, when you're paying as a sponsor and dropping six, seven figures on that sponsorship, yeah, you've got that kind of spon- uh, that kind of power. Now for the teams that actually, there are teams that don't get sponsorship from any of those three and say buy uh, Shimano groups. Um, those teams, yeah, they've got zero power over them whatsoever. Um, but for the teams they sponsor, traditionally, they do have that kind of uh, power. And I it makes me wonder if, A, they haven't pushed very hard or if the teams have pushed back to a really surprising degree. Um, hmm. I've yet to hear from anyone close enough inside who can tell. Hmm. Okay.
0: Well, while we're on the topic of the Cobble Classics, it feels like the right time Revealed just what keeps our legs warm on a crisp spring day. We're gonna get a little embrocation education. Coming up next on the pace line.
2: Koers die misschien anders gaverlopen. Het not niet echt zijn, want het is geen weer zoals ze zeggen. Tom Bonen, pas maar op. Het is altijd Tom Bonen, zoals mijn broer ook zegt. Het is tombonen. Maak je
0: 30 meter want daarover ging. Het op die Hellingen, maak je die goed. A true hardman opts to forego the knee or leg warmers and instead chooses an embrocation to cover the knees. The laminate provides warmth for the legs and keeps the blood circulating and muscles supple. Embrocation and the sheen created is affectionately known as Belgium knee warmers. The hardest of cyclists will sport bare legs in the most ruthless of conditions. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Michael Houghton, Patrick Brady. Fatty, not with us today, but uh, hoping to get him back in the mix soon. The inspiration for this Take a Pull segment on the Pace Line comes from RKP's Patrick Brady. And a post you wrote, I guess, about nine years ago. and it goes something like this. As it was my first season of racing in New England, everything I thought I knew about the cold was coming up short. My tights were too thin The only jacket I owned was a windbreaker. I'd never seen booties, and I was trying to split the (laughs) atom here with an axe. I dropped by the local market and picked up a good-sized jar of Icy Hot. Afraid of using too much, I applied it only to my knees. An hour later, my knees felt amazing, but my calves were cold, and my quads and hamstrings, protected by that ultimate insulator, six ounces of Lycra, were shockingly, surprisingly cold. I have learned a lot since then. Embrocation has been a helpful ingredient in many of my best race performances, and it is something I truly continue to use on a regular basis.
1: Patrick, you have the con. (laughs) Well, the big reason I wanted to bring this up is I wanted to touch base with both you and Fatty to see if this was part of your practice at all. Um, You know, cold weather riding. Um, I guess I'm still just kind of surprised... How often I run across people uh, who, you know, I'll be out on a cold ride or a cold, wet ride, and they'll look down at my legs and they go, dude, they're bare. And I was like, well, not really. Um, you know, it, so that that piece I wrote um, about my introduction to imbrication, when I moved to New England from Memphis, you know, I owned one pair of tights. Yeah, I had one windbreaker. Um, and we started showing up to the spring races with UMass. And I mean, we're talking, uh, February and March in new England. Um, you know, it'd be like 39 and raining the number of races where those were the conditions 39 and rain. I can't even begin to tell you. Um, and so older teammates of mine were looking at us, heck at first, I didn't even know what knee warmers were, um, and so they'd look at us and go, no, no, you know, those are just going to fill up with water. Uh, get this cream on your legs, spread it around. It'll insert your legs. It'll help warm them. Um, and in the rain, uh, it'll seal your skin from the rain so you don't go hypothermic. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I had some occasions where I pulled out erases because it was cold and wet and I didn't have Embro. Um, and that really changed everything for me. And uh, a couple weeks ago at Chileno Valley, it was kind of the the final ingredient in that uh, collection of choices that I made that day that really helped keep me uh, super comfortable. Um, With uh, Pete Smith of Mad Alchemy a couple years ago, I did a a special RKP edition Embro uh, Cream of Courage. and, uh, it's a, a pretty neat thing that serves me in most circumstances, but actually, uh, I had to go to one of his medium Ambros, uh, the, the Tim Johnson special edition, uh, that I ran on Chileno Valley. And I mean, you know, it was, it was kind of all the tricks that I knew, you know, you get your bibs on first, you pull the legs up, uh, you massage it in. I went from, you know, the top of my thigh all the way down to my ankles, um, And, uh, you know, you really massage it in. It's funny because I've seen some university actually undertook a study to see if it worked and decided, no, it doesn't do anything at all. And it's like, well, sorry, I can't help you guys because I use it. Europe uses it. You know, thousands and thousands of writers, successful writers have used it over the years. And anytime it's wet, I immediately go to the Embro um, and... So, yeah, we're missing out on a little piece here, not having Eldon. But, I mean, how about you? I know I left some with you my last visit down there. Uh, Have you given it a try? Yeah. uh, Before we get to me, uh, first I want (laughs) to
0: just hear one other item from you, and that is whatever happened to the Icy Hot? Now, that must have been – how did you arrive at Icy Hot? That was your first – that was your entry level – that was your entry drug to this, right?
1: Well, the thing was, so the the guys I knew who had good Ambrose – they'd been racing in Europe and brought it back with them. And so unless you just happen to get lucky, you know, and walk into O'Neill's or the Biex in Boston or something like that, um, Landry's, you know, unless you got into one of those really great pro shops and they had some, you know, your only choice was to go to the drugstore, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, walk in the CVS and see what they have. And so I was like, well, Icy Hot's the hottest stuff I know of. And so I bought that. And, you know, I mean, to its credit, it worked pretty well. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I like you, will put on
0: Embro when I uh, know it's going to be wet, when I know I need to go quick or fast or race, um, and when it's obviously cold as well. Um, otherwise, on, on normal training days, I'll, I'll pull on the leggings or the knee warmers or what have you because uh, they come off uh, if I need to. Yeah. Um, they don't create quite the smeared mess uh, that Embro can. <laughs> uh, I think once I tried putting Embro on and then pulling leg warmers over that, and that was a recipe for disaster. I oh, know. I
1: did that once in the Alps. It was below freezing, freezing and snowing, and I, yeah, I put on full Embro and then pulled on leg warmers over that, and was really almost warm enough. Um, I didn't like the
0: effect I got from it. It just was... It, it, the the Embro was kind of trapped under the, the leg warmers, and I ended up with a, a pair of leg warmers full of Embro in the end. And I think it rained on top of it also. I was creating some sort of a weird soup there, I think.
1: <laughs> well, you know, one of the things when, when people kind of question it, uh, I tell them to go look up uh, accounts. There's this one particular interview with Andy Hampsten uh, about the 88 Giro and the ascent of the Gavia and the extra steps they took. And, uh, you know, while they used some Embro on the legs, um, because they knew that they were all going to lose their jackets on the climbs, um, they sent out one of the soigners, uh to a drugstore someplace uh, to buy an industrial vat of lanolin and the guys smeared lanolin on their arms, their upper bodies, everything to just kind of seal them up as much as possible. And it's why uh, the you know not only did you know Hampson uh, ride into pink that day uh, and get second on the stage, you know the entire team uh, was able to finish the stage. Uh, yeah, Bob Roll did pass out at the end. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, but you know it's um. It's a, a really helpful thing, and and I, you know I wanted to bring it up because you know with with us being in the meat of the spring classic season, there have been so many times where you know you hear it's in the forties at the finish, uh, in Roubaix, you know sometimes it's been raining and you see the guys roll in, uh, you know no no leg or knee warmers, you know bare knees, and it's like well, those legs ain't bare, dude. Uh, and the other thing is the the thermal bibs, you know, people still really aren't onto that secret. Um, those may look like normal bib shorts, but they're made out of the same stuff. Your knee warmers are.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, here's some interesting facts I found out about Embro when looking into this topic. It's believed everyone thinks that the Belgian cyclist was probably the first to wear Embro, but horse owners have been using Embrocation on their stallions for well over a century, for what I'm not quite certain, but horses have been <laughs> lathered up. Uh, I, I, back to use of Embro, I, like you, Patrick, I find that Embro's ability to repel water is equal to, you know, the, any warmth factor I might get out of it. So that's uh, 50% of the reason why I might lather up with some Embro before. Oh, right? yeah. If it's wet, I, I think it repels water nicely. So how hot is Embro? Uh <laughs> You're familiar with the Scoville scale. That's how we rate peppers.
1: Yeah, that's what has caused me to never buy any ghost peppers.
0: Yeah. Uh, So a jalapeno is about 1,000 to 4,000 on the Scoville scale. It's measured in SHU units. The habanero is about 100,000 to 350,000. The pepper used in uh, Enzo's Embro stick reaches a million on the Scoville scale. Uh, that is some significant heat. Um, the heat is diluted, though, because of the lanolins or whatever creams might be involved. Mm-hmm. So you're not getting the full <laughs> the full effect of, a, of, a, of of the pepper. But um, it does th- embrocation reach about a million on that on that scale. How warm are your legs, really? This is something you brought up, Patrick. You know the study that was done. Uh, your legs may feel warm, but it's uh, actually a kind of a chemical bait and switch, according to some people, that you're kind of tricking your mind into thinking that they're warmer than they are. And there's no coverage, or there are some. There's a thin layer of coverage, but um, you, you're, the, the spice on your legs is giving, is making them feel alive as opposed to numb, which can happen
1: in the cold. you think that might be some of the effect here that you're feeling kind of this, well, this experience? My experience from racing in cold conditions, uh, when I didn't have Ambro, you know what happens is, you know that that outer layer of skin and subcutaneous fat just ends up going numb. Um, and I know when I feel that, that I'm in trouble because that, that cold is going to start penetrating into the muscle and my, my muscles are going to start shutting down. Uh, and I don't mean like, you know, paralysis or something, but they're just not going to fire as effectively. Mm -hmm. And so the spice, uh, you know, that, that, uh, capsicum, um, in the embryo, what it does is it irritates the skin. And so when you see the skin turn red, you know, the red that's blood flow that's being caused by the irritation. And so, you know, yeah, you're losing a certain amount of, of heat, uh, that way, you know, you're burning extra energy, but what it does is it makes sure that that there's adequate blood flow, uh, through that topmost layer of skin, uh, so that your muscles stay warm and will continue to fire, uh, you know some years back uh i think you've done it the pine flat road race outside Mm -hmm. of fresno uh, goes up into the sierra just a little bit um i had only recently moved to california and among the many things that got tossed were all my old school ambros and so in a rainy 50 degree road race uh i went with knee warmers and it rained it there was a period where it stopped but you know except for like you know 30, 45 minutes out of the three and a half hours I was out there, it just poured rain. My knee warmers, just like a teammate of mine had told me, you know, eight years before, uh, my knee warmers soaked up all that water and pulled on my legs to the point that it actually made the the leg gripper uh, on my right thigh pulled so much that it made the skin raw. I was unaware of this until I got into the shower after the race, and I made a sound that caused my teammate to ask, "You okay in there?" (laughs) Uh, I was actually bleeding from that site. The the knee warmers had pulled down on my skin so much it had ripped the skin. Yeah. So
0: again, uh, well, the cool thing about Embro is is it's really probably a natural product. The the heat element is it's a pepper. It's yeah. capsicum, as you said. The the You'll hear two words when Embro is mentioned. Capsicum, which is just a pepper. I mean, a habanero is a capsicum, and a bell pepper is a capsicum. And then capsaicin is what gets produced. That's the, the heat-producing element that comes out of caps capsicum. Yeah, uh, That makes things so hot. Um, as you mentioned, Patrick, there's a right way and a wrong way to put on your Embro. Make sure it's the last thing you do. You want your bibs on. You want to put shamic room on first yep before you put your embryo on um and as soon as you put it on um smear it on your legs real nice and then what wash your hands you were particular last time you were here about washing your hands with something to get it off
1: yeah well dawn or something like that that's known to break up oils okay yeah i i know guys who will use nitrile gloves and then just toss the gloves um so that's another uh option um some years back uh 97 or 98 when cross nationals were uh at fort Devons, uh just outside of boston uh i happened to be in uh toby stanton team director of hot tubes i happened to be in his van with his juniors and former you know but back then current pro uh frank mccormick of the saturn team and uh, Frankie was giving the juniors all his best tips for cross race prep. And one of the things he said was, okay, so now once you got your embryo all over your legs, don't wipe your hands off just yet. Hmm. But pull up, uh, pull up your base layer and, and push your bibs down and rub it all over your back. Oh. Get it on your lower back. Oh. And so that way, you know, as, as the race wears on, And you're kind of inclined to start tightening up. It won't happen so much. Um, And I was like, whoa, okay, I'm going to remember that one. And, man, and you know, I got to say, you know, dismounting and running and then getting back on a cross bike where your position is the same as your race bike, you haven't raised that bar at all. Yeah, a a back will start to tighten up. And uh, Frankie's little tip there is one that I do pull out from time to time. Right. Yeah. Um, another tip,
0: uh, watch your containers. The <laughs> container of Embro can look a lot like a container of chamois cream. Be careful. Make sure that things are clearly marked, especially, you know, early in the morning when you're getting for a race or a ride. It'd be a, a bad mistake to mix those two up. A water will heat up Embro again. So when you get in the shower and if, if you've never used Embro and you get in the shower and water hits the Embro, expect a sting because that'll happen. Um, so watch that post-ride shower. You'll probably get a, a little relapse of Embro. We right
1: call that there. afterglow.
0: Yeah, it's very nice. Yep. Uh, and here's kind of a final note. You are always going to want hotter. You know how when you eat spicy foods and the first time you may eat something spicy, the next time around you're always maybe looking to up the ante a little bit? Same with Embro. Um, you may get used to the mild sauce, but uh, eventually you may want to push the envelope a little bit and make things a, a little hotter. On the legs with your embrocation. Yeah, Patrick, you uh, may be the Scarface of embrocation. Uh, <laughs> oh, you would, you would make Tony Montana proud of the way you push this stuff. On a recent stay at my place, uh, Brady here conveniently left behind a tub of RKP branded embro, hoping I, I would start smearing this stuff on my legs and hopelessly become addicted to its spice. <laughs> Say hello to my little friend.
1: Well, the, the biggest. The biggest pusher, other than Pete Smith at Mount Alchemy that I know, uh, is my buddy who wrote that opening you read, uh, Radio Freddy uh, Tony Bustamante, who runs Velo Smith Bicycle Studio uh, in Evanston, Illinois. So, shout out to my old buddy from uh, from BKW. Um, he's uh, he's the true OG of of Embro.
0: Yo, Patrick, thank you for the embrocation education here on the paceline the shimano shram battle heats up no pun intended and again those of us who ride are the winners we head into the garage next on the paceline the paceline the podcast on two wheels michael Hutton, patrick brady fatty missing today but we hope to have him back uh, for next show. Last paceline, of course, we detailed SRAM's new mountain entry, the 12-speed Eagle Group, and we're going to have a postscript from Patrick and just a few on one by systems in general. But front and center on the paceline and in our garage segment this week is Shimano's next generation of Dura-Ace. Um, this was a solo report by a major publication about some of the details in Shimano's new Dura-Ace. Uh, we talked about uh, some Quick photos, some Instagram shots that were taken of the group set in Taipei. But so far, we've only had this one report and baseline here. We've not substantiated everything that's in this report about what could be involved in the new Durace group. Um, The highlights will include a power meter, road-specific disc brakes and rotors, improved DI2 integration, drag-free hub, and the same shifting firmware that's been seen in XTR DI2, the Mountain Group. So, Durace, according to this report, will continue to be an 11 speed system. Um, it will have some of the fine details of, or some of the same look as, as the current group set does. Maybe a little change in polish, and therefore, and again, those photos that came out of Taipei kind of show where they're headed with uh, the look of the group set. The Di2 version has been slimmed down with uh, smaller motors and batteries to try and light things up. And then, of course, features a firmware uh, taken off XTR Di2. So let's break this down real quick according to the report that we read about the new Dura Road-specific disc brakes. The rotors will be road-specific with an aluminum carrier that presumably cuts down on weight. There's a power meter um, built into the crankset. Which retains the crankshaft will have that forearm look that that we've become used to with the nine thousand series. Um, the power meter will include uh, strain gauges on the crank arms. Uh, Patrick, are you? Do you know how strain gauges work? Is there any particular reason they would go with that?
1: Well, it's, uh, strain gauges are, you know, the basis of what everybody's using, uh, to measure wattage, uh, right now. I mean, the, the stages system, uh, you know, that uses strain gauges in the crank arms pioneers system, again, strain gauges in the crank arms, uh, as opposed to say in the spindles, like the Garmin vector system, uh, or in the bottom bracket spindle, like the granddaddy of them all SRM, Mm um, and uh you know stages has done a really great job of legitimizing this particular technology and in a lot of ways it makes uh better sense than any of the other systems that shimano would just simply incorporate this into the group rather than make it uh an option is pretty monumental um i i really applaud them for this
0: okay uh this would be Shimano's first power meter, too, by the way. They've uh, integrated the junction box. Uh, they've developed a sleek box that secures into the bike's frame. That means no more hanging the junction box off the stem. Again, trying to clean up the look. You know, if, the, if there's one thing that SRAM ETAP has over Shimano's Di2 is that the SRAM, you know, it's got a cleaner look. There's no a lot of wires. Indeed. or Yeah, so it, Shimano possibly here trying to... to um, trying to clean up their look a little bit with the Di2. Uh, by the way, there still is a mechanical version of the, of the new dura as we understand it. Uh, Shimano will be bringing, this is the big, I think this is the biggie, Patrick. They'll be bringing that Synchro system, debuted on XTR Di2, to the road.
2: Um, yeah.
0: So yeah. that works. Basically, explain how that works and how you feel it
1: might apply
0: or work on the road. So with
1: Synchro, what you do is you, pro- uh, you program... Uh, the succession of shifts that you want uh, to execute, um, and so if you want, uh, if you've got a properly spaced uh, cassette and properly spaced uh, chain rings, uh, it, you can set it up so that uh, you shift uh, first, second cog uh, on the uh, on the cassette in the small ring, then the, then your next upshift is to downshift a cog and then shift onto the big ring and that back and forth sequence of perfectly spaced shifts, you know, for the smallest possible increase in gear inches can be programmed into the system so that you have exactly the succession of shifts you want. Plus you can also program it to shift down in a different way. Uh, you know, so one, uh, one succession for upshifts, a different succession for downshifts. And this thing, to me, is what makes one buy completely not worth having a conversation about. You know, you can have two shifters and you don't have to think about whether or not you're shifting uh, your big ring or a cog. Um, it takes care of everything for you. And plus, because it's DI2, the shifting is utterly flawless. Right. When I tried... There-
0: is there any reason to believe, I mean it's proven itself in the dirt. Is there any reason to believe this this won't work on the road that somehow roadies won't be able to adapt to it or
1: no, it'll want just it? be more foolproof. I mean, this this all the reports I'm hearing from in the field on XTR DI two are fantastic. The limited writing I did on it, you know, was not particularly rigorous, uh, and it was just phenomenal. Mm. Um you know, I I think having uh, di two with synchro for the road would be just absolutely fantastic. Yep. Okay. Um,
0: there again, there is a front derailleur here. This is not a one by system, and they even this hasn't even been brought up where SRAM has really pushed heavy both in dirt and on road for one by Shimano. It's got a front derailleur, and on the mechanical side, I guess the cable routing has been changed. Um, and uh, they've actually reduced the amount of force it takes to to upshift that front derailleur with the cable system. It's already buttery smooth and easy. I yeah. don't know how it could get any easier, but evidently it does. And the system, the current 9000 mechanical, routing that cable, they have this weird way, this plastic thing you got to put on to figure out what side the cable is supposed to go over the... The bolt. Yep. Um, I, I get evidently that's been cleaned up or made a little bit easier, which I really appreciate because I've read the I've read the documentation on the nine thousand stuff. I don't know how many times and I still don't know how to set up well, a front derailleur on that thing.
1: That's that's less an indication of the derailleur setup being difficult than just how bad Shimano's documentation is. That's a separate issue. <laughs> okay. Um, and a uh, final
0: note here: a pretty radical. A rear hub, you know, Shimano also makes hubs, and they usually release that when they do a new group set. So this new hub is pretty crazy, fantastic, if this reporting is accurate. Instead of using pawls and getting that click, click, click sound you get, they've developed some type of clutch system, Patrick. Where when the rider pedals, uh, the clutch, I suppose, engages and makes yep. contact, um, and when you uh, stop pedaling, a spring takes over and pulls the, the plate away from the hub body and allows freewheeling and it is noise free and you know that you faster you're,
1: engagement that's but faster that's the engagement single, yeah so it's 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 dragless coasting and faster engagement so the two things that you would want from a better free hub you've got with this roller clutch and because it's a shimano roller clutch uh i'm I'm willing to just go ahead and assume on the front end that it's going to work pretty amazingly. Um, they're not the first to do this. There have been some others. Uh, I remember seeing one in 96 and we were all, uh, it was for a mountain bike uh, wheel. And we were all completely blown away uh, with how instantaneous the engagement was. Um, and then 72 hours later, uh, it was back and had seized in a mountain bike race.
0: Mm-hmm. So what are the chances that you'll see any of this at Sea Otter, this new Shimano stuff?
1: Uh, Somewhere between zero and negative one. And that is why. Uh, Well, they don't, Shimano doesn't want word of this out yet. Uh, They're kind of upset that uh, reporting was being done on this at all. Um, You know, I, I mean, as scoops go, you know, for the tech obsessed, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty okay scoop but this is information um and i you know i don't want to uh i don't want to belittle the work that my friends at News did um you know this is information that was going to come out anyway Mm -hmm. um this isn't like some sort of doping scoop where it's classic investigative journalism they did get the scoop and they worked really hard to get it um But it doesn't rise to quite the same level of service journalism that uh, spilling the beans on Lance doping, say. Um, And Shimano's upset because the moment that the consumer public knows that this group is around the corner and it's, you know, given the time frame, it's kind of easy to guess that this was coming. Um, It's like, you know, Apple and new iPhones. You know, it's been three years. Oh, here comes the new iPhone. Um, And so... Shimano is upset because what this does is it decreases interest in current stock. Ultimately, that hurts dealers because now people are walking in shops going oh yeah, I'd like to buy the the new Domani or the new Tarmac or whatever, but gosh, I think I'm going to wait until the new Dura-Ace is out instead. And so now, you know, dealers are faced with the prospect of, oh great, it's April. It's April. It is still snowing in Boston and I can't sell my new bikes because the scoop on Dura-Ace is out. And so I I get, you know, um, it's fun to be the one to break a story, but I get why. Not just Shimano, but dealers are upset to have this information out yeah. there.
0: Well, what's the difference between you know this information getting out now and last show we talked about SRAM's Eagle Group. Now SRAM purposely put that information out, but doesn't that hurt dealers as well? I was at a shop last night. A guy had, I don't know how many Scots hanging in the rafters, all with SRAM one buy on it that presumably would be obsolete. Is there a difference there or with the way the message is delivered and how it affects the economy?
1: Um, Part of it is the interval. You know, we're not even going to see the new Dura-Ace. You know, you're not going to see it on a bike shop floor until sometime next year. You know, if you're you're dealing with a really good uh, dealer, like say, you know, you deal with Synergy, um, yeah, you might see it in late November or December. But most likely, people aren't actually going to see this stuff in their shops until, you know, say this time next year. Um, And that's a long time to have consumers waiting on stuff. Whereas with Eagle, I forget just what the release date date is, but I think it's only a few months away. Um, And You know, provided that's the case, you know, you can see people, you know, just timing a a purchase by a couple of months as opposed to a whole year. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, nope, Shimano, not the only one with new product coming out. You know, of course,
0: SRAM again with its Eagle Group. And, uh, and we're still hearing a lot of noise about FSA with a group set, group set, that is. We haven't seen any pictures yet. And now Rotor, the Spanish company, they've started to show off their all-hydraulic system. That's hydraulic brakes and hydraulic shifting. So there's going to be plenty out there in the marketplace to choose from. Um, in addition, to uh, the main three, Shimano, Campi, uh, and SRAM. Patrick, now, speaking of SRAM... You spent a day in the dirt on a one by SRAM system. And again, we talked about the new Eagle system with the big 1050 cassette 12 speed system last week. And you had uh, a little postscript, I guess you wanted to add about uh, your impressions of one by in the dirt.
1: Well, you know, as I've been saying, you know, as this has been a conversation point, you know, over, you know, more than a year now, because, you know, one by systems have been around for a while now, um, you know, this isn't. This is, this is not a solve-all uh, for people. And so I did the Sonomas race that I mentioned at Lake Sonoma uh, last weekend. And, uh, you know, this is a one-by system that I've been riding for months. And it's been good enough to get the job done, you know, over uh, the, the terrain I typically ride. There have been a couple times where I've really definitely wanted one gear lower And I don't mean like a 42 instead of a 40, you know, something on the order of like what Eagle would offer with that 50, where I clearly have not had as much low end as I wanted, but I could still get up stuff. Whereas at Lake Sonoma, the terrain was so incredibly steep that I found myself, uh, you know, initially I was gutting it out on the climbs, you know, just getting over stuff at two miles an hour. Uh, And then later on in the day, I was so fatigued that I had no choice but to walk stuff that I might otherwise have ridden. Um, And so it's... uh you know, I just, I want to get this message out there that, you know, one buy is not, uh, it's not a perfect solution. You're losing on the high end and you're losing on the low end. And there's a reason why, uh, well, there's a reason why mountain bikes started with three chain rings. Um, And, you know, why we've concluded that two generally is enough. um, You know, one buy in that circumstance um, actually hurt my race performance. Mm. It, it, You know it decreased the quality of my performance and it's something that's frustrating because I mean there's a lot of terrain there that I would have enjoyed riding instead of walking Um, you know I think I think Eagle may get it done um, but the way that SRAM is trying to get everyone to drink this one by Kool aid you know it's it's not a perfect solution certainly not in places with actual mountains
0: and it's got to be one of the reasons Shimano has kept up with a two by system on on its mountain groups. I mean, they they do offer a one by, but they say, hey, if you need two by, we have still got it. I tell folks who ask about off road racing, especially especially mountain biking, what they should go with. I say, you know, what type of event are you up for? If it's a longer event with long sustained climbs, I say get get on a two by. You'll you'll be glad you did. Um, if it's short punchy climbs. If you're an XC racer doing uh, something under two hours, you know one by is probably going to be the thing you want. You're going to save yourself some maybe a chain drop or some headaches of front shifting. Um, you're going to be a little quicker that way. But in in, in a cross country scene, you, you probably can. In a short cross country scene, you can probably power over stuff. Yeah, but on otherwise I, traditional I still, terrain, sure. Yeah, I still see that there's there's room for the two by system, and especially with people that don't bring all the fitness in the world to the scene. Um the 50 is going to be an interesting experiment. We'll see how many people can actually use that. It's been described as a bailout gear by by folks who've ridden it, not necessarily by SRAM, but by some of the reviewers who have been on it so far.
1: I um, guarantee you I would have been in in that gear quite a lot last Saturday.
0: Wow, well, yeah. It's a pretty big jump. They go right from the 42 to the 50 on that. So, well, still room for the two buys. Uh, uh, Two-by-drive trains in our world, as far as we see it. Uh, Intense Bikes. That's a mountain bike company. They're out of Temecula, California. Small company. Um, They have a new bike out. It's called the Trail Spider 275C. I'm assuming that's a 27.5 wheel size. They've done something pretty cool, Patrick. Um, They are giving dealers first shot at this bike. In fact, they're telling all their online accounts, lay off. You cannot put the bike online. We want to give our dealers, our showrooms, a chance to show this bike to the public Before it becomes Available online For sales It's a grace period I think of 180 days I can't remember The exact time frame Yeah But they want to give Dealers A little bit of a Head start here
1: Yeah It's fantastic I, I totally love this I was blown away When I first read the news And I think it's Really terrific uh, Intense president uh, Andrew Herrick Is an old friend of mine uh, Heck He sponsored the first team That I ever rode for Back when he was The president of Pedro's Um and uh, this was something uh, he drummed up, and it's just a, a, a fantastic way uh, to show just how important the IBD is uh, to Intense, and yet uh, the fact that, you know, at some point, these bikes will be available uh, through the internet I think it shows that you know they're a forward-thinking company, and they understand that you know consumers buy many consumers buy in a manner different than they used to. Not everybody walks in the IBD, mm-hmm. um, but this is a way to show where their roots are um, and you know what their preferred business model is. Right, and Herrick also emphasized one other point: not only supporting the innovative bike dealer,
0: but also that the bike itself at this price point which starts at 4600 and goes up to 9500 for this bike, so it's a nice bike, should be felt and fit and seen in person to truly be appreciated. So he thinks for the customer as well, the potential rider as well, this is the better route, that they go in and they see this bike, maybe ride it, get a fit on it, because it's an, it's an expensive bike and it's something they gonna want to be sure about and you really can't be sure about things online. You're kind of guessing. Online, yeah. so he thinks. Yeah. For from the cu- on the customer level too, this makes a hell of a lot of sense to give them first shot at a um, at a bike shop. Now on the bike mechanics and a topic we've talked about before on the pace line, specifically bike tipping. Great post that that fatty wrote. Uh, the bike mechanics, or at least some of them, have formed an association. It's not really a union, but an association. The association of professional bicycle mechanics. It's a group started by James Stanfill. He's a former director of operations at USA Cycling who continues to organize USAC's annual race mechanic clinics. He currently works at a bicycle shop in Austin. He's also worked for Specialized and Cannondale. He's been surveying members or potential members about their needs and desires as mechanics. And the initial results suggest members are interested in an organization that can provide health and liability insurance. And they'd also like to see technical education standards defined. Two, I think, things that are probably... We know health is health, or, or health care is probably missing from a lot of the payrolls for bike mechanics in this country.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, you know, having these guys band together and just begin to get organized, better communication, uh, even just talking about standards uh, and practices within bike shops, um, you know, even if they don't get to the point of, you know, health care for everyone in the first year or two. You know, just starting this effort, I think, is really phenomenal.
0: Yeah, these guys need to really get together on a lot of levels. We talked also about their average incomes is right around in the low 20s nationwide. It's a little higher in California.
1: Let's let's just be honest and say poverty.
0: It is. I guarantee you, most of these bike mechanics, they're they're probably on Obamacare. They probably need some type of health if they get hurt. Uh, It's a a real issue, and they need to, I think, start a... Looking at themselves, a the way they can come together and, and act as one and maybe reach out to their employers and say, look, we, we have some issues and we'd like them. So far, it's just a, a Facebook group and a web page. That's kind of where they've started so far. So very grassroots, but yep. cool to see that they've uh, got things going on that end.
1: Yeah, uh, and a shout-out to my old boss uh, from Felt, Doug Martin, who's involved in this. I haven't had a chance to talk to Doug about his involvement yet, but uh, he's a guy who, when he puts his shoulder uh, into an effort. Good things happen. Awesome. Um,
0: another thing we're very pleased to hear about here on the Pace Line is that at least for one event uh, on the UCI Women's World Tour calendar, that's the Prudential Ride London 2016, uh, the women will see their highest ever uh, paycheck price uh, and their prize money, their prize pool, will match that of the Companion Men's Race. So, excellent. finally, We're starting to see some movement. I mean, there's. I don't think of of the sports that I've watched, Patrick, where men and women kind of compete on parallel circuits, say the LPGA tour and the PGA tour. This never happens. You never see women getting equal pay as men anywhere. On any stop, tennis, Tennis. yeah, never,
1: right? Well, it happens some, you know, but that's one of the only places where it ever happens. Yeah, WNBA, NBA, not a Uh chance. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was the, the lawsuit by uh, the uh, Women's Soccer Federation or, or players against the Federation, right? Um, you know, for equal play. They, uh, the women's national team, I should clarify. Sorry, because they're saying, hey, we do the same job as the men. We're getting results that they don't get. Why are we getting less money? It's a fantastic argument. Uh, the tragedy here is that we're having this conversation. Oh, yay, the women are going to get the same pay as the men. Why is this something we're talking about? Why is this something that's even a thing? They should be getting the same money i it just it boggles my mind,
0: yeah, they crash just as hard. they get hurt just as bad. They take the same amount of risk it's no different i mean they they deserve to be compensated for that so um. Good. Oh, you know, one thing we failed to mention, by the way, back to Flanders, which was our opening topic here, is that Lizzie Armistead won the women's side of the race, and you're thinking, okay, cool. Well, she was also in the rainbow jersey, just as Peter Zagam was, so that was cool yeah. to see them on the podium. Pretty
1: cool double on that day. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that was really cool.
1: Uh, speaking of finish lines,
0: the pace line has rolled across the line. Our arms in the air once again for another show. Do we care? Well, yeah, we're not in the rainbow <laughs> jersey, but. We had our embryo on today, so it really helped <laughs> We missed Fatty, but hoping to get Fatty back soon. Patrick, Red Kite Prayer is always a very busy place, and I did see what I think is a new feature on the site called Just One Moment, and you also have a review of uh, Giro's laced mountain bike shoes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, love that shoe. Uh, really comfortable. Great fit. Seven points of, of adjustment is better than three points of adjustment is, is kind of my determination. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it's neat to see – uh robot uh with what looks like will be a new recurring not weekly recurring but you know occasional uh feature um it's just so great to have more of his voice cool yeah
0: he's the friday group ride entry and now uh we have a new a new entry called just one moment on the pages of red kite prayer and i have a, a review up too on the cat like mixino helmet really enjoyed it Check that out if you're in the market for a helmet. The Spanish company uh, doing a great job uh, of keeping the cat-like brand moving forward with some uh, really crazy good technology built into that helmet, too. Fatty, we missed you. Get better. Uh, thefatcyclist.com, the other reason the pace line keeps rolling. So go there or the fatty cast to see and hear what's up with our beloved Fatty. I think he has a, an interview up right now with Phil Gaiman, in fact, who Phil is going to be in Roubaix. He got a last-second call. said, come on over, Phil. we We need you at Perry Rebaix for the Cannondale team. I'd also like to give a quick congrats to two guys I ride with frequently. Jeff Consmo and Dave Yeager both took home yellow jerseys from the San Dimas stage race. Uh, Jeff in the 45 plus, and that was for the third year in a row. And Dave in the 55s, they trained together, lived just a few blocks from each other, and now they wear the same winner's jersey. So congratulations, guys. Uh, the Pace Line podcast can be found on the pages of RKP. Just head to the sound section of that site. We are also on Stitcher and iTunes. And if you could, please leave us a comment. We'd love to hear about what's on your mind, what you think of the show. And please rate us on iTunes or Stitcher, too. That really helps us out a lot to stay in some of those uh, cool categories iTunes has for podcasts. So for Fatty and Patrick, I'm Michael Hotton. We'll talk to you next time on The Pace Line.
2: I only have a very few limited goals left. The biggest one is winning Paris-Roubaix for the fifth time. That's the only reason I'm still racing.